The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, Fathom Church, on this Labor Day. Thanks for being here. All you masked people here, it's hard to tell if you're friend or foe. I mean, uh, you know, I, I preached to an empty church uh, last time, and now everybody's got masks on. So I can't tell if you're smiling or if you're going, that was a dumb thing to say. Or, you know, I, I just can't tell. But I like it when people are drinking their coffee because then they have to pull their mask down. I can tell who they are. I'm going, oh, yeah, that's you. Yeah, okay. Um, but thank you, too, for joining online, uh, you people there. And um, I'm Gary Shear. I'm a new old elder here at Fathom Church, um, and we're going to be studying this morning 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, which is what was read to you just now, and we would like for you to follow along with us if you can with your Bibles or tablets or phones, whatever um, you have uh, in this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. Now, this passage is about what's important. Because it's important to know what's really important. We are always in danger, daily danger, of going about our lives, our routines, our pursuits, our projects, and getting to the end and having missed the important thing. How, how tragic that is. And, and yeah, we as Christians, uh, there's always the real danger of going about our Christian lives, church, small groups, Fathom Academy, various ministries and services in the church, spiritual disciplines, and getting to the end to realize we missed it. We did it all, but we missed the important thing. It's important to know what's important, and that's what these verses are all about. So let's pray. Lord God, we just pray that uh, through the words of, of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 here, that you would help us Uh, know what's important. We may know it, but cement it into our hearts that we might live it. Thank you very much. Amen. So um, let's get the context of these verses. So this is chapter 13. Chapter 13 is, number one, one of the most beautiful word pictures of love ever written. But it's sandwiched between uh, two chapters on the spirituals. Um, spiritual gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit. Chapter 12, chapter 14, like, like two pieces of Dave's killer bread, and then this wonderful, beautiful piece of, 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 of love passage right here in between. So that's the context. Number two, the context. These words were given to the Corinthian church, of which Paul says in, in chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, he says, In every way you Corinthian Christians were enriched in Christ, in all speech, all knowledge, so that you are not lacking any gift. So it was all happening in the church in Corinth. Tongues was there. Prophecy was going on. Healings, yes. Miracles, yes. Supernatural words of knowledge happening. That's the context of these words. Number three, context. He starts chapter 12, the chapter before this, telling them, okay, you guys, things are happening, but you become become a real wild bunch. You guys are out of control. Settle down. You're abusing the gifts, 
And in the process, you're abusing each other. So that's context here. Um, number four, context. It's obvious, though, that what we've studied so far in, in 1 Corinthians here um, tells us that the Corinthians felt really good about themselves. They looked in the mirror and said, we're good. We're good. The Spirit's manifesting. The Spirit's manifesting. So that's context. Context finally, number five. So he comes to chapter 13, and he hits them hard. He hits them hard. He tells them that, hey, you guys, you're, you, you think you're looking good. You feel good about yourself, but something's wrong. Something's wrong. Yeah, the Spirit's manifesting, but you don't get it. You're missing the point. What's essential, in fact, is just the thing you're missing. You're missing the most important thing. So that's the context. Now bringing it into our context. It's so that you don't or I don't or we don't as a church leave out the essential that God has this passage for us this morning. He doesn't want Fathom as a church to miss the most important thing. So let's see what he says about that. So he starts in verse, uh, verse 8, um, love never ends. And then he ends in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So, kind of a dog question here. What is the most important thing as we live our lives with Christ and with each other? It's love. Yeah. Obvious. So, that's it. Sermon over. That's the most important thing. We can, we can go home. No, the problem is, uh, love is a tricky word. Um, and as a society, we're really messed up in our concept of love. We have Oprah telling us what love is. Um, we open up People magazine, and the latest hot celebrity is, is waxing eloquent on life and love. Um, and then, and then uh, we, we only have one word for love. Um, it has to do for lots of stuff. The Greeks, we'll talk about that in a minute, had four words for love. We have one. So for us, we love pizza, and we love God. Really? Hmm. Um, we love our wives and our husbands, and we love our dogs. Ew, I don't know. We make, we make love, which is a euphemism for sex. Kind of strange. We make love. As a noun, love means a warm, fuzzy feeling. Kind of like, can't you feel the love tonight? Cozy, cozy stuff. Um, it all... That's all love. What's Paul talking about here? He says love is the most important thing. Well, see, the Greeks, and the Corinthians were Greeks, and Paul was writing in Greek, they didn't have this mushy confusion about love. They had four words for love. And none of them would they use for their favorite food, and only one of them would they use for sex. They had a, they had a word for family love, the, the, word, the love of relationship in a family. They had a word for sexual romantic love. They had a word for the give and take of friendship type of love. And then there was this other word, the fourth one, agape. And this is the love word used here in this whole passage, in this whole chapter. Now, um, it's essential for us because of this, it's essential for us to clean up our minds and understand what the Bible says about love. The, the, the word love here is agape. It was the least used word for love in those days, in the Greek time. 
Um, but for Christians, it came to be used for the unique love of God. I'm sure that's why it was rare. It was a very rare type of love. The, new, the tech Dictionary of New Testament Theology says the word of agape speaks of the love of God and the way of life based on it. Agape is the love of God and the way of life based on it. So it's this kind of love, this kind of love, that's the most important thing. It's not pizza love, the, the love for that which is tasty and satisfies our hunger. That's not it. It's not dog-type love, love for that good companion who gets all excited when we come in the door. It's not the love of physical attraction and sex. It's not the love of warm, fuzzy feelings. It's agape love, the love of God and the way of life based on it. It's a love so unique, so godlike, and so based on the astounding love that God has for us in Christ that Jesus said it would be the distinguishing mark of his people. John 13, 33 and 34. Love one another, Jesus said, as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love, agape love, for one another. So it's this kind of love that is the most important thing. It's agape love that brought Jesus down in that infinite descent. Jesus, the infinite Son of God, creator of all things, became a zygote, one cell in the womb of Mary. He made his entry into the world through the birth canal of a young teenage girl in the dirt of a stable. No, no hand sanitizer there. It's, that's agape. Agape is a unique love of God that loved mankind so much, but loved justice so much that it would sacrifice neither. And so he sacrificed his son. That's agape love. Agape love is the love that took Jesus to the cross and kept him there. It's agape love that's causing Jesus right now to be preparing a place for you and a place for me. Agape is the love of God which loves the world and, and the way of life based on that love. And this is the most important thing. That's what Paul is talking about in this chapter. That's why he says it's so great. And this chapter was written because to the Corinthian Christians, this love was not the most important thing. It wasn't. As a church, they looked good. They felt good about themselves, but they were missing the most important thing. So let's see what Paul does about this, says about this. Um, so verses 8 through 12, um, he, he talks about he explains how or why love is so important. Now, this, is, this isn't a how-to passage. That was last week. Um, Eric preached to us, you know, love is this, love does this, it doesn't do this. It, well, that was the how-to stuff. This is simply making the point that love is the most important thing. And um, now remember, the context, again, is the spirituals, the workings of the Spirit of God in his people, the gifts, service, various activities, in and through us for the health and work of the body of Christ, which is the church. And in the Corinthian church, that there were some pretty fantastic spirituals going on. Like we said, they were jazzed up about these things. And you would be too. If you brought somebody to the church 
um, that had cancer, you brought them to church, and they were healed like that. Yeah, you'd be excited, man. Or someone could come with an intransigent problem, something they just couldn't figure out, and they'd get a supernatural word of knowledge, and it would be just the word that would put it all into light and figure out their problem. Wow, and yes, you'd be spiritually, you'd be jazzed up too if you arrived here in church and started speaking German or Arabic. <laughs> yeah, so that was ha- what's happening. But, lo- but Paul is saying, love is better than all that. Love is better. It's more important. And he's saying, in fact, if you don't have any of that in your church, but you have love, agape love, you're better off. So, why? Now he talks about why. Verse 8. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. He, he's using examples of the spiritual gifts here, some of the hot ones that the, the Corinthians thought were so great. He says, love is the greatest because it lasts forever, and these things don't. So that's a simple point. He says, so get, get jazzed up about love because it lasts forever. Um, but to go further... And to explain this, Paul uses three analogies in the following verses, um, which help us understand um, the role of spiritual gifts and love, the interaction between these two things. So let's talk about that um, as Paul goes through this stuff. So verses 9 and 10, he says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So it's clear here that when he talks about the the the, the the uh, partial that will pass away, he's talking about the spirituals, the spiritual gifts. Um, that's the partial that will be done away with. Um, so spiritual gifts are like the rough draft of an essay, okay? Uh, what good is the rough draft? Well, it refines the thoughts so the essay will be of great quality. So the draft is the spirituals. The quality essay is the love of God and the life based on it. So the, 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 the spirituals, the rough draft, it's important. In fact, it's essential to, to have a good quality essay, but it's thrown away when the essay is completed. That's what Paul's saying here. He says the spirituals are like a scaffolding around a building. Um, what it's, what's the scaffolding for? It's to build the building. Um, uh, so the scaffolding is the spirituals. And the building is the love of God and the way of life based on it. So the scaffolding, it's important. It's essential. Can't do, it, do the building without it. But it's taken down when the building is completed. It's not the building. It's like the tools that were in our basement for four months. Big cement room started out. All these tools scattered around. They worked on it for four months. What were the tools scattered around in our basement for all those months? It was to make a big cement room, wonderful, usable living space. That was the point. So the tools are the spirituals. The wonderful, usable living space is the love of God and the way of life based on it. So the tools are important. They couldn't have made that space without it, but they were taken out and packed away, and we celebrated that day when the contractors came in and took our tools and carted them out. So Paul is saying that the spirituals, the gifts of the spirit, um, they have their place. They have their purpose and time, but then they will be taken away. He's not saying they're not important. 
They're very important. And he's not saying they're not essential. They are essential. But he's saying they're temporary, and they are a means to a greater end. That's the point. So, uh, let me just, an aside here. Some would say, because of this verse, some would say that uh, this verse teaches that the spiritual gifts, at least the miracle ones, have passed away. They've ceased. And so, people who teach that are called cessationists. Um, I, I just, one question rolls around my mind when I think about that is, is the building completed? I don't think it is. So I think there's still need for the scaffolding and the tools. So um, that's how I look at it. But the point Paul is making here is that the spirituals, in other words, the gifts of the spirit, the, the service, the activities um, initiated and empowered by that spirit, the working of the spirit of all kinds in the, through the church, are the means, the tools, to perfect and implement agape love in our lives, the love of God and the way of life based on it. That's what they're all about. You see, the Corinthians took the gifts of the Spirit, they took the service, they took all the activities and the workings, they took that as the point. They thought that the point was to look in the mirror and see the service, the activity, the miracles, the healings, the tongues, and say, we're good. We're the kind of church God wants. So, Fathom, let us not mistake the tools, the scaffolding, the rough draft for the finished product. Let us not mistake spiritual disciplines and all of our churchy activities as the spiritual life itself. The spiritual life itself is a life of agape, a life of lived in the love of God and basing our lives upon that love. So when we as Fathom, when we look in the mirror and see a church church infused with the love of God and living a life based on that love, then we will be the kind of church God wants. That's Paul's point here. So then he goes on, uh, verse 11. Um, He goes to another analogy. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So here's another common reality of life. It's clear here that the childhood stage he's talking about in this, in this analogy is, is the spirituals. The adult stage is the life of agape, the life, the love of God and the way of life based on it. It's, it's clear. That's what he's talking about. So the issue here that Paul is getting at is, what are we trying to get really good at? Into what are we trying to mature? What will be the measure of reaching the goal, the maturity? Well, he's saying here that the spirituals and our activity in the church, it's all part of development. It's all part of development, the development stages, like the stages of a person growing up. And so he mentions the way we talked as toddlers, when we used to say tain for train, or wawa for water, or blankie for blanket. Um, now, no father says, hey, somebody write those down so I can make up vocabulary cards of those, so that by the time he's 20, he'll be really good at saying those things. Nobody does that. Paul mentions the things, the toys of childhood. 
the 14-year-old doesn't say, or I hope he doesn't say, um, hey, what happened to my Duplo train? I need to keep working at pushing my Duplo train around the track so that when I'm 20, I'll be really good at it. Nobody says that. I hope not. And then Paul mentions the way we thought as children. And I, my, my grandson, a few years ago when he was 10, he was around 10, something like that. He's just out of the blue. We're in the living room and he says, when I get big, I'm going to be a boxer so I can take care of my family. I go, okay. You know, um, thankfully he's past that stage already. So <laughs> um, stages of development, we, we go through them. They're necessary. They're part of life. Um, developing thinking, speech, abilities. They're cute and funny in their time. They're essential, yes, essential stages of life, but they're weird and inappropriate later on and certainly not the goal anyone wants for their kids. And it's not the goal God wants for us, the spirituals. The goal is something else. Paul is warning us away from false ideas of spiritual maturity. The Corinthians thought that because they were speaking in tongues, seeing people healed, that had people giving out words of knowledge, that they'd spiritually arrived. But God said, you're wrong. You're wrong. You can be a preacher or a teacher and growing in your skill as a preacher and teacher, but if you're not growing in agape, the love of God and the life based on it, you're not growing spiritually. You can be working at perfect church attendance, or working at memorizing whole books of the Bible. You can be spending days in fasting and prayer, but God is telling you here that you're missing the point if you're not working at growing in agape, the love of God and the life based on it. Now, it's not, again, it's not that we shouldn't do these things. Memorize, yes. If you can memorize books of the Bible, do it by all means. As a teacher, I want to work hard at being the best teacher of the word of God that I can possibly be. And of course, pray much. If you can spend days fasting and praying, do it. It's great. But do it with the goal of growing in the love of God and the life based on it. That's what it's all about. So then Paul moves on to his final analogy in verse 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Um, what's that all about? Well, how many of you are tired of Zoom? Zoom this and Zoom that. Ah, Zoom. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I, we're... we're you see, that's the point. We're thankful for the technology. It serves its purpose in this time, but it's not the face-to-face -face experience. This example is for us that are tired of Zoom. You see, the contrast in this, seeing, seeing somebody in a mirror as opposed to seeing them face-to-face, -face, it's an indirect experience of that person. It's not direct. And that's, that's what Paul is saying here. Um, this, 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 this uh, analogy is built upon Paul's more extensive teaching here and elsewhere in the Word um, about the church as the body of Christ. Um, you see, I, I love that idea, the body of Christ. Think about what that implica implicates, the body of Christ. 
You see, Christ, what happened? When he, after he died on the cross, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples, and then what happened? He went back up into heaven, and that's where he is, preparing a place for us. He's not here walking around. But he said, I'm going to leave the body, the body of Christ here, which is the church. Wow, that's an amazing, that's an amazing statement. That's an amazing thought, a concept. Jesus is no longer here in bodily form. So how does one hear the words of Christ? Why? Through the body, through the church. As it teaches, preaches, and shares the word of God. So Jesus isn't here walking around. How do we experience the works of Christ? Why? Through the body. As the Spirit works his gifts and manifestations through each of us to one another and to the world. Jesus isn't around here, so to hug people and touch them. How do people feel and experience the love of Christ? What's through the body? The church, as, as the Spirit works his gifts, that's why they're called the manifestations, manifestations of God, of the Spirit, in each of us to one another. That's what it's all about. And even to be healed by Christ. How do people get healed by Christ today? Through the body as the Spirit works his gifts and manifestations through each of us to each other. So through the gifts, the work of the Spirit manifesting himself in each person, member of his body, in great variety, through different people, in various strengths, various degrees, at different times, the body helps each other experience God and his working among us in the world. So this is the final reason not to get overly jazzed up about the spiritual gifts, as amazing as some might be. It's the reason we, don't, we appreciate Zoom, but we don't get all jazzed up about Zoom. We appreciate the gifts for what they are. They're an in-between time between the coming of Christ first and the time when we see him face to face. It's the way God has given us to experience himself as we minister to each other in the power of the Spirit. But it's all Zoom. It's not direct. Paul, uh, John says, someday, someday we will see him face to face. So for now, it's all Zoom. So you might have been used of God to heal somebody, but this is not the ultimate experience of God. Don't think it is. That's what the Corinthians did. Man, we're doing all this stuff. We've got the ultimate experience. You might be the kind of teacher or preacher that thousands come to listen to, whose words will be written and recorded and read or listened to for maybe generations to come. But you do not thereby have the ultimate experience of God. These are indications of, these are not indications of being closer to God, of being in more direct experience of God of having a more vital relationship with God. It's all Zoom. Until we see Christ face to face. So what are these things all about? They're all about giving us ways of ministering to each other the great love of God during this in-between time until we see him face to face and we get a direct hug from Jesus, our Savior. That's what it's all about. So do not look at any spiritual gift as the ultimate experience of God. They're all given for the purpose of growing together into Christ until his love, agape love, 
characterizes our lives as individuals in a church. So, finally, verse 13. He rounds it off with this. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So, this is just a statement. No explanation. He just says, love is greater than faith. No explanation of why. He says, love is greater than hope. No explanation why. Well, we don't need an explanation. That's not the point here. The point is, how important is faith? It's really important. Without faith, there's no salvation. How important is hope? It's really important. Without hope, our lives are darkness and pointless. Well, as important as faith is, as important as hope is, love is greater. Love is more important. That's the point. It's to be sought harder. It's to, develop, to be developed more. It's to, be, it's to permeate our lives more fully even than hope and faith. The greatest of these is love. So, here you go. This is, this, is, uh, this is what it's all about. You as an individual, me as a Christian, um, Fathom as a church, let us not mistake the tools, the scaffolding, that rough draft of spiritual disciplines for the spiritual life itself. The spiritual life itself is the life of agape, a life lived in the love of God and basing our lives more and more upon it. So use all the disciplines. Use all the, that's what all the activity and programs of the church should be to develop lives of love based on the love of God. So you as an individual, me as a Christian, us as Fathom as a church, let's not mistake church membership our service in it, our attending, our fellowshipping, our studying for Christian maturity. These are all necessary steps in the process of growing in Christian maturity in life. But the mature Christian life itself is not being able to spot out a book of the Bible that you've memorized. It's living in the love of God and basing our lives upon it. So, you as an individual, Fathom as a church, and me as a Christian, let us not look at any spiritual gift as the ultimate experience of God. They're all given to help us know and experience the agape love of God and so base our lives upon it. That's the point. So, so here's the deal. Finally, um, as individuals, Fathom as a church, if we want to look in the mirror as a church and say, ah, you look good. Or more importantly, if we want God to look at us and say, you look good, make the love of God and the life based on it the greatest thing in your life. Develop it the most. Pursue it the hardest. Let's pray. Lord God, that's just what I pray. I just pray that myself... We as individuals, fathom as a church, I pray that we can make the love, your love for us in Christ to be the greatest thing in our lives and to base our whole lives upon that love. That we might develop it the most, we might pursue it the hardest, so that we might be a body of Christ 
that is pleasing to you. Amen.